Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, let's get into our study. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. All right, so as you turn there, we're going to prepare our hearts with a time of prayer. Father God, we thank you once again for your word. Yes, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray for a timely word tonight, Lord. And so I pray that I would decrease and you would increase and that you would be glorified. And I pray, Father, that all of our hearts and minds will be open and receptive to what you have to say and to what you desire to do in us and through us. So, Father, help us to sense your presence tonight and help us to have a heart and attitude of expectancy, expecting you to speak directly to us. And it just may be one word or one sentence, Lord, but we are expecting you to move tonight. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, and tonight's study is entitled, Help Received, Help Remembered. And now after defeating the Israelites and capturing the Ark of the Lord, the Philistines brought the Ark to a place named Ashdod, and then to Gath, and then to Ekron. And the Ark was in Philistines territory for seven months. Now, since the Lord struck the people in those cities with tumors, the Philistines sent the ark back to Israel's territory, but they sent it to a place named Beth Shemesh. And God ended up striking the men there as well. And he struck them because they looked into the ark of the Lord See, the God we serve is a holy God. They didn't respect the Lord's holiness, and so they got struck. Many died. And afterwards, these men of Beth Shemesh would go on to send messengers to those who lived in a place named Kerjath-Jerim. And they sent messengers there to tell them to come and get the ark. We, we've received these, these plagues. We've been struck. Come and get the ark. And in verse 1 in 1 Samuel 7, it says, Then the men of Kerjath-Jerim, they came and they took the ark of the Lord. And it says that they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated or set apart Eleazar, his son, to keep or to care for the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kerjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented. In other words, they wailed or grieved. It could also be said that they longed for or longed after the Lord. And so as you see there in our text tonight, the 
the Ark of the Covenant remained in Kerjath-Jerim. It was a city on the northern boundary of Judah and on the western and southern boundaries of Benjamin, of Benjamin's territory. That is the tribe of Benjamin's territory. And the ark was brought to Kerjath-Jerim instead of Shiloh. Because remember, remember in Shiloh, remember the, the tabernacle was there. And remember that the tabernacle held the ark of the covenant. And so instead of the Ark of the Covenant going back to Shiloh, again, it was taken to Kerjath-Jerim because it is most likely that Shiloh was destroyed by the Philistines at this point. But then later on, as you continue to read through the scriptures, you'll, you'll see that the Ark will be taken to Jerusalem by none other than King David. But one thing I wanted to point out here and really focus on in verse 2 is the fact that the people of Israel, they long for or they grieve after the Lord. And I'm just praying tonight, and, and I hope that is a part of your prayers, that, that there be many people to come to the end of themselves, and they too will begin to long after the Lord. That they will come to the end of themselves and see that my life is empty. I know I have a lot of money. I know I have this job and this career going for me. I know that this mate that I have, they look good and all that. But you know what? There's something empty inside of me. There's something missing in my life. I pray that people will come to that point and long after none other than the God of the Bible. And for those of us who are saved and and maybe there's somebody who is saved tonight and you haven't been walking as closely to the Lord as you should have been or as you used to walk with him. Maybe that's the story of your life, at least lately. My question to you is, do you miss him? Do you miss those times of close fellowship? Do you miss those times of opening the word of God? And no matter what chapter or which book of the Bible you're reading, there is always a timely word for you. Something that you need right there in that day. Something that's going to get you through the remainder of that day. Something that you'll be able to chew on and the Lord will open up an opportunity for you to share with somebody. And it'll be that very word that you receive from the Lord in your reading time. Do you miss him? Do you long for him? And in verse 3, it says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. It says, And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel, they put away the bales, they put away the asterisks, and they served the Lord on only. So in other words, what he's saying there near the end of verse 3 is to direct your hearts fully to the Lord and serve only the Lord, the God of the Bible. Now, Ashtoreth is the false goddess in the Canaanite religion. And it was usually related to the fertility cult. And so people who worship this goddess would participate in sensual activities. Now, Baal 
On the other hand, and I do have to say something about Baal. Some people pronounce it Baal. It was the chief deity of the ancient Canaanite people. Because remember, it is the land of Canaan that was the promised land, that is the promised land for the Israelites. It was the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. And and so that's where uh, the people of Canaan or the Canaanites come into this picture as I talk about their goddesses and, and their false gods. But to continue with Baal, he was the Canaanite storm god, and supposedly he brought good crops and financial success. And he was worshipped in many cult centers under various forms. And so obviously, the Israelites were worshipping the Ashtoreths and the Baals. And Samuel this great leader, this great man of God. And you'll see in the study, this great man of prayer, he told them to return to the Lord with not some of your hearts, not, not a fourth of your hearts, but with all of your hearts and put away these idol gods, the asterisks and the bales. And, and I wonder tonight what would happen if the church was to put away her idols. Oh, maybe there's, a, there's some idol god of some type of sinful pleasure or maybe there's the god of politics for some or maybe for some and you see this you hear this a lot these days maybe there is the idol of race where race a person's skin color so to speak is elevated to the place where it's on the level of god in some people's lives they put race in the race experience the skin color experience their ethnic experience on the level of god and so they, their whole worldview is based upon my skin color. Well, I wonder if we would put away those little G, these idol gods in the church. I, I wonder if we would also experience more victories and more deliverance over our struggles and over our hard times. Oh, just like these Israelites were encouraged to do. Turn to, the Lord's with all your, turn to the Lord with all your heart and put away those idols. Only serve him and you're going to experience the victory. And I would just say for those who, doesn't, who don't know Jesus, if you don't know him in a personal way, don't have a personal relationship with him, I would just say give him a try and watch him go to work. Allow him to be the only Savior and Lord in your life. Allow him to be the only God in your life and, and watch him go to work. Watch him give you victory over the things you've been struggling to have victory over for all of your life. And Samuel said in verse 5, gather all Israel to Mitzvah. And he said, I will pray to the Lord for you. See there, he's a man of prayer. And so they gathered together at Mitzvah. They drew water and they poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted. They fasted in sorrow over their sin. They fasted that day. And they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mitzpah. And Mitzpah, by the way, is just north of Jerusalem within the tribe of Benjamin's territory. So this is Israelites' territory. And so what we see here in these verses, in the narrative here in verses 5 and 6, is that the people were pouring out their hearts to God and they fasted. And that's what we see as they were pouring out this water. They were pouring out their hearts to him. And what they were doing 
what was a demonstration of an attitude that, that leads to confession and it, it led to repentance. See, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 10, the word of God says, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to what? To salvation. And it's not to be regretted. So anybody who has experienced godly sorrow and has repentance leading to salvation have never regretted it. I I don't regret it. and And I would venture to say that none of you regret that either. But it says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Why is that? It's because the sorrow of the world does not produce repentance. See, those people who have godly sorrow, who experience godly sorrow, your, your heart is broken because you sinned against a loving and holy God. And you come to understand the fact that you fall short, way short of his glory. As the scriptures would tell us, In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of his standard of perfection. And when we realize that, oh, we have godly sorrow and that produces repentance, meaning that we we turn from that sin. It's talking about a change of mind. We turn towards God in faith and that produces salvation. You see that confession and repentance, you know, I would say that they're a good start to restoring fellowship with the Lord. And I use that word restore because I'm talking to you, saints. I'm talking to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if there's sin in your life, again, confession and repentance, it's a good start for you to get back in fellowship with him, to get back on the same page with him. You see, when that happens, that means that pride is broken. Because when we confess our sins, that means we're saying the same thing that God is saying about sin. That's what confession means, to say the same thing. And so you're saying, God, you say that sin. Okay, God, I agree with you. That is sin. I confess it to you. And so guess what happens? Pride is broken because you're not holding on to your own ideas. You're not telling God. You're not telling yourself. You're not telling other people by words or by action that what I'm doing is okay. No, you're saying, God, I agree with you. This is sin in my life and it needs to be dealt with. Therefore, pride is broken. But also when confession and and repentance takes place, what happens is selfishness is also broken. Why? It's because we stop holding ourselves back from God when we repent and when we surrender to him. We have this mindset, this attitude of, Lord, here I am. I'm no longer holding myself back from you in order to indulge in my sinful pleasures, in order to live a lifestyle that I know, Lord, that you don't agree with. I give myself over to you. I no longer serve this idol God of lust, O oh God. So I turn to you in repentance And so my selfishness is broken. And now when the Philistines in verse 7 heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mitzvah, the lords or the rulers of the Philistines, they went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. See, they've been defeated a couple times. The first time, I believe, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, 4,000 
of them died. And then again, uh, another 30,000 died. And then the ark was captured on top of that. And so they, they, according to man's point of view, they had reason to be afraid of the Philistines. But one thing I wanted to point out from these verses in verses 7 and 8 is that the enemy does not care where or when you are worshiping the Lord. The enemy doesn't care. You see that the Philistines were coming upon them. They, they didn't care if they were gathered and Samuel was praying or whatever they were doing. They were pouring out water and fasting. They didn't care anything about that. And I, I know many of you know where I'm going with this because we are in a spiritual battle. We are in spiritual warfare. Whether you like it or not, when you said yes to Jesus, you also said, yes, I am enlisting myself in the army of the Lord. And I expect to be in a spiritual battle. Each and every day. And because of that, we can't fight a spiritual battle. We can't fight a spiritual enemy or enemies based upon human means. The weapons of our warfare or even the methods of our warfare, you can say they are not carnal. They cannot be of the flesh. They will not be successful. You need to fight spiritual with spiritual. But I don't want to leave you there with that point and and just leave you afraid or in shock. Oh, there's an enemy. There's a devil and demons coming after me. And so to that, I would say to you to, to be on guard. To be on guard and keep worshiping the Lord. Don't be distracted. But, but Darrell, every time I open up the Bible or begin to pray, all these thoughts start hitting me. Darrell, every time I open up the Bible or pray or try to go to church, there's this argument that arises. Keep pressing through. Keep worshiping. Keep your guard up. Oh, Darrell, I'm good. I've been having success lately. So I'm coming to church and I'm raising my hand freely because my week has been going so well. Well, I would say to you to still keep your guard up. Keep them up. At all times, as the referee would tell a boxer in the boxing ring, protect yourself at all times. In verses 9 through 12, it says, And Samuel took a suckling or a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And then Samuel cried out to the Lord, which means that he prayed to the Lord for Israel. This is what we call uh, intercessory prayer. And the Lord or Yahweh or Jehovah We don't know the real pronunciation behind um, that word Lord there in all caps. Because remember I said that whenever you see uh, Lord in all caps, it's Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. It's the Tetragrammaton. And some pronounce it Yahweh, Yehoshua, or Jehovah, or Yehovah. And so we don't really know. But the Lord answered him. And now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But uh, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day. And so confused them, that is the Philistines, that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth Car. And in verse 12 it says, Then, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, that is, to this point, the Lord has helped us. You see, just like these Israelites here, 
we, 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 we need to ask others for prayer as we engage in our spiritual warfare. There is nothing wrong with that. And we all, by the way, need those prayers. Whether you work with junior high or the children, whether you're a senior pastor, whatever the case may be, ambassadors of hope, we have various ministries and outreaches here. We're so blessed here at Calvary Chapel, Queen Creek, all these ministries and servants. So no matter what position you're in, no matter what role you're in, we all need prayer. And there's nothing wrong with asking for those prayers. In fact, we're going to take a look at Ephesians 6, 18, and this is very appropriate because we've been talking about spiritual battles or spiritual warfare. And this is appropriate in Ephesians 6 because uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul had just gone over the spiritual armor. And so after going over the spiritual armor, it says this here in Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all what? Prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. See there as as believers, as, as we engage in spiritual warfare, we need to remember to pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. We're we're all in this thing together. Uh, They may not be going through the same exact struggles that you're going through, but they still need prayer. They may not be facing the same circumstances that you're facing, but they still facing the same enemy. And so we need to be praying for all the saints. But one thing I want you to notice as well is how God came through for the Israelites this time around. Because remember the first time, again, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, he allowed them to be defeated by the Philistines and allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be taken or captured. But this time the Lord came through. It says he thundered with a loud thunder in verse 10. And they were confused. The Philistines were confused. And the Israelites chased them and defeated the Philistines. See, earlier in chapter 4, The Israelites relied on the Ark of the Covenant. They used it as some sort of good luck charm. And remember, that didn't work out for them. They lost. But this time around, children of Israel confessed their sins. And we know that they repented. And their fellowship with the Lord has been restored. And of course, the Lord fought on their behalf. And this has to tell us something. And one thing that it tells us is that God is more concerned about our relationship with him than with fixing a temporary issue. You see, winning that battle against the Philistines was a temporary issue. But again, what God was more concerned with is, do I have your whole heart? Are you back in fellowship with me? Have you put away those idol gods out of your lives? So that we'll be walking step and step again in deep fellowship. That's what the Lord was concerned with. Something that was more important. Something that is more eternal. Have more eternal ramifications. And I like what it says in Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Because we see this point illustrated. 
We see this point that, that God is more concerned with our relationship with him than with fixing a temporary issue. And I'm not saying that he's not concerned about the temporary issues in our lives. I'm not saying that because we see him deal with that day after day in our lives and even in other people's lives with speaking of those temporary issues. But you know what those, even if he fixes that temporary issue, we're still going to die. We're still going to die, especially if the rapture doesn't happen first. And so in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, still sticking to that point that, that God is more concerned with our relationship with him than fixing a temporary issue. Remember, keep that point in mind. We're going to look at Mark 2. Uh, verses 1 through 12, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So that when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Notice where they were reasoning. They were reasoning in their hearts. So we're going to see another proof that Jesus is God. And this is what they were saying in their hearts, not audibly. Why does this man speak blasphemies against this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? See, Jesus knows all things. He knows what's in our hearts. And Jesus asked them a question, which is easier to say to the paralytic, this person who can't walk, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. I will say this, neither one of those is hard for God. But to man, it is easier to say the words, your sins are forgiven, than to see a man say, hey, get up and walk. In man's eyes, the words, just saying those words will be easier But in verse 10, and again in Mark chapter 2, it says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. And so there, just to get back to that point, you see that Jesus, who is God, was more concerned about this man relationship with the father than he was with healing him of his paralysis. Now, he did get to the physical healing, but what was the greater need? He needed his sins forgiven. And we see that in our lesson tonight because once their fellowship with God was restored again, they experienced victory. They experienced success because God came through for them. And I will say this about us, that that when someone comes to us and, and they ask for some help with something physical or material, and you don't know what their relationship with the Lord is like, 
There's nothing wrong with helping them out with food or something like that or whatever it is that the Lord lays upon your heart with material things. But you always want to make it a point to ask them about their walk with the Lord. Oh, yeah, there's people who call the church and there's people who need help and they're hurting. And so and that's fine. And we're so blessed as a church. We have a generous senior pastor all because you guys are generous and you and you give you give abundantly out of your hearts, willingly. And so there, there's other people that, yes, that the church is able to bless. But, but one thing I make it a point to do, not just tell them, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, the, the pastor said we can be a blessing to you with the light bill or whatever the case is. No, I make it a point to ask them, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because guess what? If that light bill is paid, if, if a portion of whatever bill is paid, and they die without Jesus, then that means nothing. Because they're going to spend eternity in outer darkness. And there's many ways that hell is described. The the flames that never go out. A place where their worm never dies. Uh, You see it as a place where people actually remember things from, from the first life. The life before they die physically. And they're tormented by that. And I believe in hell, one thing that's going to be uh, the most hurtful, that's going to cause some of the most torment is the fact that God is not there relationally. They're quarantined, so to speak, from the presence of God for eternity. Well, Darrell, why do they have to be separated from God for an eternity if they sinned in time? Well, that's because we serve an eternal God. We serve an eternal God and it works the same way with salvation because we serve an eternal God and we we have an eternal savior. That's how long our salvation is. And for people who die without Christ, that's how long the punishment is. It's for eternity. And nobody at the end of the day will say that God, our God of the Bible is unjust. And so the Philistines were subdued as we continued in verse 13. Back in 1 Samuel 7, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And the Amorites were one of the chief nations who had possessed the land of Canaan before it was conquered by the Israelites. But again, here you see the emphasis of the point I made earlier, that victory and restoration are the results of what? Of being in alignment with the God of the Bible. And that's, of course, through Jesus Christ. And Samuel, as we continue with the narrative, he he judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, which was north of Jerusalem, Gilgal, which was near Jericho, and Mitzpah. And he judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. And there in Ramah, he judged Israel. And there he built an altar to the Lord. You see, Samuel, the prophet and judge, it 
Again, he went in this circuit and he taught the law. He, he heard cases between the people. He gave counsel and he passed judgment or settled disputes. And again, he was the last of the judges. And so he was the last between the gap between the judges and the period of the kings. And he wasn't a military leader like we see people like Samson, like judges like him. But he was more of a spiritual leader, as we see here, this man of prayer. And this man of prayer would go home to Ramah after he completed a circuit and, and he built an altar. This place of worship and sacrifice. Again, he built the altar where his home was. He built a place of worship where his home was. And that tells us that our homes should be a place where we worship the true and the living God. We shouldn't have to wait until we come to church, to a building, to worship God. Our place at home should be where we worship God and come into church, whether it's on a Sunday or come into a service on a Wednesday. That should be icing on the cake. But one thing I want to do before we leave tonight is highlight and focus a little bit on verse 12. Because as a reminder of when the Lord helped them, helped the Israelites to defeat the Philistines, the scriptures tell us in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 7 that Samuel set up a stone. He set up a memorial stone or a monument and he named it Ebenezer. And Ebenezer, by the way, means stone of help. And that Ebenezer or that stone of help, this memorial stone, it marked where God had helped Israel to defeat the Philistines, their enemy. And I just wonder tonight if we have any Ebenezers in our lives. Do we have any memorial stones? Do we have a stone of help where we remember the Lord's help in our lives? Where we remember how the Lord has helped us? Because each step along the way where the Lord has helped us, we, we should have definitely this Ebenezer. For, for some people, their Ebenezer, they, instead of setting up a stone, some kind of monument, they, they might write in a journal how God has answered a prayer. They may send a brother or sister in Christ a text message. Hey, guess what? I remember I prayed for you about this or you prayed for me and, and, and this is what the Lord showed me. This is what the Lord has done. It could be a simple picture of this is how I used to look, but this is how I look now. This is how far the Lord has brought me. Some people start off with a picture. This is me in the hospital. I'm sickly. I'm on my way out. Look like I'm about to die and, and, and see the Lord and be with the Lord for eternity. But some saints prayed for me and the Lord came through. And so for some people, they take their Ebenezer, maybe their cell phone. They take a picture. Hey, look at me now. That was me in that sick bed. And this is me now all healthy and jogging around the neighborhood and everything. Playing football with the kids. 
For some people, it's not anything physical that can serve as your Ebenezer or so-called memorial stone or your stone of help. For some people, it's just a simple memory, just your memory that can serve as your memorial stone or Ebenezer that reminds you of how the Lord has helped you. And these Ebenezers, by the way, is basically, they're basically God's track record. It's a record of the Lord's past performances of how he has worked in and through your life. And I would even add another preposition and say how he's worked for your life. It's his track record. Speaking of these Ebenezers. Or for some of us, we have this, these memorial stones or this stone of help to help us to remember the times that he's helped us financially when we were down and out and it didn't look like we will be able to make it the next day or the next week. As some people say, there was more month than money. And so God has stepped in at that time and we remember that. For some people, they have an Ebenezer about the time that God has helped them within their marriages. Oh, the marriages, they looked hopeless. Everything looked bleak. Everything looked like it was going to be over. But the Lord stepped in and he saved our marriage. He saved our relationship. And and I have that Ebenezer etched in my mind. This stone of help of how the Lord helped me when I cried out to him. Or maybe as a church, the the church maybe for, for some churches, the doors look like they're going to be closed for all times on this side of eternity. Oh, but the Lord came through in a miraculous way. And so there's many local churches with that testimony of how the Lord stepped in and and, and brought them back to life, so to speak. Maybe some people have an Ebenezer or a memory, maybe some type of journal note, helping them to remember how the Lord helped them in their spiritual walk when they were struggling, maybe with suicide, as they were struggling with depression, as they were struggling with maybe even hatred in their hearts. And oh, how the Lord has brought them through when they pray to the Lord, when they fellowship with the Lord on a daily basis and the Lord stepped in and he changed their heart. He took out that stony heart and he gave them a heart of flesh. And oh, the Lord's removed that hate. Oh, the Lord healed me of that depression. Or that the Lord removed those suicidal thoughts, whatever it may be. And maybe for some of you, you have that Ebenezer etched in your mind. I have the Lord helped you, how he came through for you. And there are some benefits of setting up an Ebenezer. Or just simply remembering when the Lord helped us. There are some benefits for you note takers. And one of the benefits of setting up an Ebenezer or a stone of help or a memorial stone, so to speak. And remember, it doesn't have to be a literal stone. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying just remember. If you have to write it down, just remember. And when we remember when he helped us, when we have that Ebenezer, then we stay aware of his abilities. Another benefit of setting up an Ebenezer or just remembering when he helped us is that we become less dependent on ourselves because we understand, oh, God has helped me in the past. He's helped me then. Oh, I don't have to depend on myself. I can't rescue myself. And it'll remind us to go to him in prayer. But another benefit of having an Ebenezer 
And for many of us, we have a bunch of Ebenezer's or these stones of help or these memories of how the Lord came through for us. And that is that the memory of him helping us in our past, in our lives, can be used to encourage others. And I think we miss that point. Because a lot of times we think that, oh, the Lord blessed me just for me. And I believe a lot of times when, and many times, most of the times, I could even say almost all the time, it's not just about us. God has a bigger picture in mind. It's all for his glory. It's for us to point to him and say, you know what? I was struggling with this. I needed help with this. And God stepped in and he helped me. God did that. He gets the glory. Big picture. And if he did that for me, he can do that for you too. And so, yes, it could be used to encourage others. But, but also, and this could even be a summary statement, is that it will help us to face the present. Not just remember the past, but to, to face the present and future trials with what? With confidence. Not in ourselves, but in, with confidence in him. And so not only do we recognize God as a God who helped us with or who helped us thus far. He's not just a thus far God. Oh, he only helped us to this point. From the past until this point. So he's not just a a thus far God, but we, we recognize him as that same God who could even help us today and who can help us in our tomorrows. And if you're a person who's into English grammar or, or grammar maybe in another language, I'll put it this way. He, he's not just a God who did. He's also a God who was doing, and he's also a God who will do. In other words, he's not a God who, who got stuck in the past tense. He's not a God who only exists in the past tense. And so he's not a God who just made a way out of no way, but he's a God who is making a way, and he's a God who will make a way. Oh, he's not a God who has healed, but he is a God who is healing, and he's a God who will heal. See, he's not a God who has met our needs. He, he's a God who is meeting our needs, and he's a God who will meet our needs. So he's not a God who's stuck in the past tense. You know, he's not just a God, and, and this is important. He's not just a God who saved us from the penalty of sin, but he is a God who is saving us from the power of sin, and he's a God who will save us from the presence of sin. And that happens in glorification. And so he's not a God who's just stuck in the past tense. And so when we talk about these Ebenezer's, I'm not saying we just do that for the sake of being stuck in the past, but it is to be used to help us to face the present and the future trials that are going to come and to face them with confidence in the God that we serve. As the worship team takes the stage, I want you to think about this. Because maybe there's some Christians tonight, and I know many of you and you're believers and strong believers at that. But but maybe lately you've been struggling to be 
thankful. Or maybe you're not struggling to be thankful. Maybe you don't fit in that category. But, but, but could it be that you're in the category of a Christian who's struggling to trust God in your current circumstance? Or is that the case? What is that circumstance that, that you're struggling to trust God in? The God of the present. The God of now. Oh, Darrell, I'm not struggling to be thankful right now. And Darrell, I'm not struggling to trust God in my circumstance. Well, well, maybe you're a saint right now, but you're struggling with wondering how something is going to work out in the future. Oh, my God, things look bleak. I don't know how you're going to work things out. Lord, I don't want to live another day. Lord, I just want to give up. Lord, I might as well just stop praying. I might as well just shut my Bible and just put it on my desk, put it on the shelf. Because, Lord, I, some believers may say, I can't just, I, I can't see how you're going to work this out in the future. And my encouragement to you, Saint, wherever you're struggling, whatever category that you fit in, my encouragement to you is to visit those Ebenezers. Remember your stone of help. In other words, remember those memorial stones. Go back to your journals. Go back to those old text messages when you exchange texts about prayer requests and how God has answered them. And one of the things I've done, I've, I kept notes on my notepad on my iPhone. Of, of, of ways that God has came through. And I'm not saying I do that all the time. Some of it, some of my Ebenezers are up here. Some of them are on paper at home. Some of my Ebenezers are those times where I remember or that helped me to remember how God has helped me. Some of those, like I said, are in my iPhone or iPad. And I locked the notes. But I could open the notes, of course, just put my fingerprint there. And if I want to remind myself of how God has come through for me in the past, I just take a look at some of those notes. And so that's my encouragement to you to, that if you're struggling to go back to those Ebenezers in your life, those things you jotted down, those things in your memory, for those of you who have great memories, or even look at those Ebenezers, those Memorial stones in the Bible of how he has helped out the saints of old. And then you will be reminded of God's abilities and you'll be reminded of his accomplishments. And that's going to be a blessing to you in your present and in the future. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we have so many things in our lives that we can remember you for. And for some of us, it's maybe been a near-death experience. For some of us, it could be some type of sin in our lives that you've given us the victory over. For some of us, Lord, it could be 
just helping us, Lord, to make ends meet. Even when we didn't know where those funds were going to come from. But Lord, one, one Ebenezer or, or stone, so to speak, that we all as believers have in common is that time you helped us by delivering us from hell. And Lord, if you, do, if you don't do another thing for us, Help us to be grateful that we're citizens of heaven. Yes, Lord, we praise you. We love you, Lord. And I pray over my brothers and sisters tonight. I pray, Lord, that you will heal broken hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would lift depression from those who are experienced depression. I pray, Lord, that you would lift the oppression of the enemy for those who are experiencing that. I pray for those who are overcome by fear that you would remove that fear. May you meet your people, Lord, where they are. And we ask for your help. We ask humbly, Lord. We ask according to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we want to thank you all for coming out tonight. Just want to say if you need prayer, please come see us. We'll be here at the front, willing and ready to pray with you and for you. And, And if you have not received Christ. I would encourage you to come forward after the service. And and again, we'll pray with you. We'll lead you in a prayer, but you have to mean it. So, yes, once again, thank you so much for coming out. May God bless you. May God keep you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.